Unfound is brought to you by its supporters at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with its gracious advertisers. Roy Gregory Brooks Jr. was a 21-year-old from Castleberry, Florida. He disappeared from there on January 18, 2000. A day later, police found Greg's car in the Tampa area. It yielded no clues as to what happened to him. On February 16, 2018, Unfound first covered Greg's disappearance. Today we revisit the still unsolved case with the original interview, but with a revised theme and new commentary. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound. When Unfound first had Greg's mother on the podcast way back in early 2018, we had only presented about 70 disappearances. This was well before Tom Brown, Steve Pankey, the Unfound think tank on Patreon, my mother's death, COVID, and a bunch of other things that have affected my life both inside and outside the world of podcasting. Now, this weekly program has covered over 280 disappearances. But most importantly, since February 16th, 2018, and even recently, we have featured some cases that, on the surface at least, seem very much like Greg's. A few questionable characters, the missing person going through some things, a vehicle found miles away, and no signs of violence. What are some of those? Jamie Valdez, Keith Call, and Sandra Haley. Paul Sanders, to name just a few. Now that we know about these disappearances, can we look at Greg's in a new light to determine what happened to him and where the reinvestigating should start? And now a new summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Linus's website, charlieproject.org. Greg Brooks was raised in a good family in Central Florida that included a younger brother. He worked and went to school and did well at both. However, in the months, if not couple years before Greg went missing, some things did not go his way. He went to college but dropped out when he discovered hazing was part of the process there. Greg and his longtime girlfriend broke up in 1999. From this and more, Greg developed depression symptoms. But his family's perception was that those issues were in the past and 2000 would be a good year for him. So, on the evening of January 18th, 2000, Greg left for his movie theater job, believing he was to be working that night. Upon arrival, he discovered he wasn't on the schedule. So, Greg picked up his check and went to Winn-Dixie to cash it. 
From there, he stopped at one of his favorite fast food places, Crystal's. His family expected him home by 1 a.m. January 19th. Greg never returned. He was never seen again. Less than 12 hours later, but over two hours away, police discovered his car on Sun City Boulevard in the Ruskin area of Florida near Tampa. Although at the time, law enforcement did not know the car was part of a missing persons case. They did forensics on the vehicle and went on searches in the immediate area. Neither action brought forth any idea of what could have happened to Greg. We revisit disappearances on Unfound because I want to make sure everybody knows we never forget the missing people we featured early in this podcast's existence who are still missing. We also do this because we are all more experienced now than we were back then, with this hopefully leading to new lines of insight. So please put those new IQ points to work as you try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, Greg wouldn't have really cashed a $200 check then committed suicide right after that, would he? Number two, was the stop at Winn-Dixie really about the money or was it about something else? And number three, can the behaviors of two of Greg's best friends be explained given how his mother portrayed them in the interview? Greg's family is still not sure what to think 23 years later. The interview you hear today will be the one from 2018 with Greg's mother, Geraldine Brooks. Unfound news. I'm sad to inform you that the body of Daniel Villarreal was discovered at the end of February, not far from where his wreck occurred. I can't go into details at this time, but whether Daniel's death was foul play or not has not yet been established. Last year, we featured his disappearance from the Phoenix area. Next, the newest episode of Unfound Now has been released to the public on YouTube. It is the disappearance of John Tipton. Coincidentally, John was found deceased Earlier this week, right around the same time, the episode came out. Finally, I continue to work on my teachable course, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone. I've even had some of you give me some opinions on a logo for the course. Thank you for the help. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the mother of Roy Gregory Brooks Jr., Geraldine Brooks. Geraldine, welcome to Unfound. Uh, thank you. Tell the listeners a little bit about your son, Greg. I know his official name is Roy Gregory Brooks Jr., but for the course of this conversation, we're going to call him Greg. That's how you knew him. 
how his family knows him, how his friends know him. So tell the listeners a little bit about Greg. Okay. Uh, My son was a very likable young man. He met people and immediately he was friends or friendly with them. Uh, I would like to think that he didn't have any enemies or anyone who did not like him because he was always uh, helping people. He was always friendly to people. He was one of those uh, young people in school, which I I didn't have uh, problems with him as far as in school or anything like that. He was a member of the band, which he really, really loved being in the band at Lima High School. He played drums, and he loves to play drums. So um, he also liked working on his car. He put loud, big speakers in his car to play music loud and he was just uh, an ordinary teenager uh, growing up in high school. He uh-huh. went to college at Florida. Go ahead. He please. went to co- college. And where'd he go? He went to Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida. And um, he really looked forward to being a part of, of the band there because he had been groomed all these years since middle school to be a part of of the band. But because of some uh, hazing issues, he did not uh, wish to participate after that. So he was not um, a part of the band that he had looked forward to all those years. And that is interesting because if the listeners will remember, within the last few years, Florida A&M has gotten in trouble for hazing that went on in amongst the music department, the band. Within the last right. few years, it got in big, big trouble. It was a national story, as I remember. Right, it was. That's that's uh, something of a coincidence. Um, did uh, Greg have any brothers or sisters? Do you have any other children, Geraldine? Yes. I have one other son who's five years younger than Greg. His name is Jermaine. And... He has that same kind of likable personality where people just kind of uh, like him because he gets along well with others. He's a little funny at times, and he just enjoys being with his friends. And I guess Greg was uh, Greg and Jermaine were good buddies. Was Greg a good older brother, good mentor for Jermaine? Yes, he was, because when you think of a young man in high school, going on a date to the movie with his girlfriend, he would take his younger brother. He would take uh, Jermaine wherever, usually wherever he he went, not all the time, but he did spend a lot of time with him. He taught him things like playing basketball. He would play basketball with him. They were very close to be uh, the number of years difference, but they were very close brothers. That's interesting. He he would take his younger brother when he went out with his girlfriend. I've never heard of that before, Geraldine. That's kind of unique. Yes, it is, but that's how much he loved his brother. And I would even question him and say, you sure you want to take <laughs> Jermaine with you? And he would say, oh, yes. And, you know, the girls liked Jermaine, too, so they didn't care. So he would go on the date with them to the movies. Okay. Uh, that's certainly interesting. Um so he went to college, 
and did he have a girlfriend, and how did he do there? That's over in Tallahassee, which is, you know, some distance away from where he grew up there in Castleberry. Uh, what went on there when, once he got to, to uh, his higher education? Well, he would come home quite frequently on the weekends. They, um, He and his uh, girlfriend, who was Janet, uh, they were able to continue the relationship probably through the first year that he was at college because he came home a lot. So he would come home to see her. And, of course, uh, at that time, they were sending cars and writing letters and phone calls. So they did uh, communicate quite a bit, even though uh, he was away. And how long uh, were he and Janet uh, a couple? I guess, were they a couple when they were in high school and then he went to college, or did this something that developed after that? Do you remember? Yes, they were a couple in high school, probably uh, at least the uh, junior and senior year. I do remember Janet going to the prom with him. So, uh, yes, they were a couple in high school and then through uh, the first year of college. Okay. And so he gets to Tallahassee, Florida A&M. was going to be in the band, but as we already talked about, some issues there. And, I, and I'm no fan of hazing, of course, either. And I was a musician at one time. I wouldn't put up with that stuff either. So I perfectly understand how Greg uh, might have wanted to stay away from that. I think that shows a strong character on his part. But how did he do with his education there? Well, the first year he did well. He was uh, happy, and he was he had met new friends, and he enjoyed it. Things were going well. But then uh, with the uh, breakup of he and Janet, it kind of made him very sad or maybe depressed. So... Uh, that was one thing that really, really bothered him because he really liked this young lady who he had dated through high school, and she broke up with him. So I think that made it even, yeah. you know, more. Well, how can I put it? Um, stressful, or made him more sad because of the fact that she broke up with him, and also informed him that she was dating someone else. I'm sure he did take it hard, especially, you know, you know, the distance him being away so many hours away. And once again, for the listeners, Castleberry is nowhere near Tallahassee, um, especially back in the year 2000. There was no email and Internet, FaceTime, anything like that. So relationships, especially among young people, it's going to be a little difficult. Uh, were Greg and Janet in the same grade or was she younger than he was? She was younger. So when he was in college, she was in her um, senior year of high school. Yeah. So that would be tough. She's not. She's still in high school. He's in college. It happens. Right. And so that probably affected his grades, as it does a lot of kids, even to this day, get into a relationship. Grades are going to suffer if things don't uh, go as well as they should. And then I'm sure maybe he didn't feel too good that, you know, she not just broke up with him, but started going out with somebody else. So what happened uh, with that? So his grades dipped some, and did he continue to, to go to school? You know, what was he telling you at the time this was going on? 
Well, he told me he was very sad. I could tell he was very sad about it. He talked about it. And um, the second semester of the second year, which actually ended in December, he um, did not return because his grades had dropped and he ended up on academic um, suspension. So he did not return for that following semester, which would have been in January uh, 2000. Okay. So, so instead, he was at home. Okay. So uh, he, at the time of his disappearance, which is January 18th, 2000, if he had continued to uh, go to college, he would have maybe been back in Tallahassee at that time. Correct. Correct. He would have. Okay. So Greg's back at home, but he has a job. Tell the listeners a little bit about uh, the job that he had, how long he had it, and did he enjoy it? Yes, he enjoyed it because he liked meeting people. He had a job working at the Regal Theater in Winter Park, Florida, which is about 20 minutes from where we live. It was a brand new theater, so he was among the first employees that were hired. And he enjoyed going to work. He um, enjoyed meeting the people who came in. He actually worked at the concession stand. So he enjoyed doing that. Um, Also, with working there, he would get to see movies free. So he was happy about that also because he enjoyed going to the movies. Sure. I'd be happy about that, too. Sure. Sure. And so he was back living at home. How would you say he was doing mentally? I mean, once again, not going back to school, a little bit of a change, living at home. Was he still suffering a little bit from his girlfriend breaking up with him, would you say? Uh, Yes, he was. He wasn't um, as happy as he normally would be. He was usually a really kind of funny guy that liked to joke, joke sometimes, make people laugh, play around. But I didn't see that in him at this time he was very sad or maybe uh depressed to a certain degree because Mm -hmm. of this happening to him because she was someone who he really liked and cared about okay so we come up to uh so he's didn't go back to school but he's working theater job job with a lot of young kids not unusual for young people to have that the type of employment we get up to here to January 18th, 2000. What do you remember about that day? Okay, I remember coming from work. Greg was at home. My other son was at home also. This was a particular night where I had to go to a meeting at Lima High School because at the time I was on the back committee there. And I talked to him. I asked him if he you know, had to work that evening, and he wasn't sure. He said he didn't check the schedule, and um, he decided to go to work to check the schedule and pick up his paycheck, which, assuming that he probably would have to work. So that's why he went to the job to check his his, um, schedule and also for the paycheck. Sure. Well, 
when I came home from the meeting, which was around eight or so, I, I wasn't too concerned. He had not come back home, but I just assumed that, okay, if he didn't come back then, then he probably had to work. So um, he always came home on time. Usually he'd get home about 1, one thirty, something like that, because he had to stay until the theater closed and then, you know, assist with the cleanup and everything to prepare for the next day. So that means that he got home late. On this particular night, I noticed that he didn't come home. So when I looked at my clock, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, my goodness, he hasn't come home yet. I became very nervous because this was quite unusual for him. Sure. But I knew it was too soon to contact the police. If I call them, they'll probably say, oh, well, you know, he's just out with his friends or something like that. But I did have this feeling that something was not right because this was quite unusual uh, for him not to come home and not to come home on time. So it's 3 a.m. He's not home. You knew something wasn't right. Knew the police wouldn't do anything right at that time. So I suppose you tried to go to bed. I'm I'm sure you're very worried as a mother. What then happens the next day? And we'll go back through the what you found out. But what happened then the next day, January 19th? Well, after my son didn't uh, come home, I went to the police station and I filled out a missing persons report that my son did not come home. So at the time, they filled out the report. They say they were going to put out, you know, the missing persons report. So um, whatever they do, I guess they they put it on their police line or whatever so that other uh, policemen or other counties or whatever can see that that person is missing. And I also had the car tag for his car, and that was put on there also notification. So they would be in search for the car. Sure. So the next day, I didn't hear anything that day, but the next day, I was contacted and told that the car was found in Sun City near Tampa. Yes. And the car had been there overnight, but they didn't know it was a missing car because the police at that time put a sticker on the car, a red sticker, because they thought the car had broken down and they uh, put the sticker there so that the owner would have to move it within the 24 hours uh, once they put the sticker on. Sure. Or it'll get towed. Or it'll get towed. Yes, that's true. Or you get told. Mm-hmm. But once the um, the license number was uh, through their publication or notification system that the police used, they saw the tag and then they noticed that that was the car that was missing. So at the time, they realized in, in uh, I'm going to say Tampa, but it's Sun City near Tampa, yes. that the car was missing. Then the police had the car towed 
away from the site where it was. Now, if I, I may yeah. just set this kind of up for the listeners, Castleberry, where I guess you still live to this day, and where Greg uh, lived, uh, is on the other side of Orlando. It's on the far side of Orlando from Tampa. Checked it on Google Maps. It's about a two-hour drive, maybe a little less than that, from Castleberry to Sun City, where his car was found. And Sun City, for the listeners, is an area to the southeast of Tampa. Um, not It's kind of a city area. Of course, it's not a big city like Tampa, but it is uh, an area where quite a few people live, and it's right along the I-75, which runs north and south in Florida. Um, so that's where the car was found, and it was found in the median of the main street in Sun City, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Okay. And it was parked right outside of one of the um, major restaurant chains at that time, which um, was visible, that people could see that the car was there. Mm-hmm. And when we found out, my um, ex-husband and I and Greg's father, we went down to pick up the car. They said we could go down and pick up the car. We took flyers down. We went through the city. We went in the stores, like Publix and other stores, putting up flyers, asking people that they see our son, that they know anything about him. But um, there was this restaurant where the car was parked. There was a waitress there that said she remembers seeing the car there in front of the restaurant, but she did not remember seeing Greg. So even though the car was there on a busy street, people just don't pay attention to people who are, I guess, getting out of cars or whatever, but they do remember that the car was there. Right. Uh, And just to be clear, though, it wasn't necessarily in a parking place. It was actually in an area where nobody would normally park their car. Maybe a car if it was broken down or something. But it was not right. in the parking lot of a Walmart. It wasn't in the parking of a parking lot of a Dunkin' Donut. It was like out on the street in that grassy area between the roads going each direction. Right. Okay. Like a divider or yeah. median where right traffic okay. flows one way and then the other way, and it was right there in the middle. Okay. And it is a busy street. Let me just ask you a question, uh, a couple questions uh, about. That waiting period between about, I guess, 3 in the morning on January 19th until January 20th when the the police from Sun City, I guess, got in contact with the Castleberry police who then alerted you uh, to the car. Did you hear from any of um, Greg's friends? Did you try calling any of them? Maybe did you try to call maybe his ex-girlfriend, Janet? Did you talk to anybody that day? Anybody able to give you any indications of anything? Did anybody try contacting you saying, hey, I was supposed to meet Greg somewhere and anything like that? No one called me. Um, No one said that they needed to meet him or they had seen him. And that's quite a mystery to me because he had one friend in, in particular his name is Mike, Michael, we call him Mike, was very, very close to Greg. And 
he never contacted me about Greg missing. He never, well, he just never contacted me. And I felt kind of unusual, strange about that, that it was unusual because they were always together. They called themselves cousins. And he never came back and asked anything about Greg. And even to this day, 18 years later, he has never contacted me and asked me, did anything come up of Greg or was he ever found or anything like that? And I, I was hurt, yes, because he was like another son to me. He came to our house for dinner. He spent the night at our house. He was always riding in the car with Greg. And I just felt really, really hurt that he never came and said anything. And it also made me feel that that was quite unusual that you would have such a close friend that you find out that your friend is missing and you never call his mom, you never come by the house, you never talk to his brother or anyone. It's almost like he almost like he just disappeared from the friendship. So I don't know whatever happened with him. Okay, but in that in that day though, on January nineteenth, did you ever think about calling him instead? Did it ever occur to you to do that? Uh, no, I didn't call him on January twenty uh, twentieth because number one, I didn't have um, contact information for him. Remember, these these young people mm -hmm. did not have cell phones mm -hmm. at that time, and um, I just didn't. No, I did not contact him. There was okay. no Facebook. There was no cell phone. Uh, I did not have his personal contact information, like with he was living with his mother or whatever. I didn't have any of that. Okay. Um, so that January 19th, once again, January 19th, the day after, not the day you didn't know about the car. You just knew that your son didn't come home, didn't know about the car yet. Just in that day... It sounds to me like you were just kind of sitting tight, just sitting at home, yes. hoping Greg was going to come through the door at any second. Did you happen to call his work and talk to them? I actually went to the job. Okay. I actually went there to find out about my son. Did he actually report? Did, was anybody with him? Did he work that night? And, of course, the answers were no. No one was with him. When he came, he picked up his check. He was by himself. He did not have to work that evening. So uh, that was kind of like a dead end with that because everything to, to the job was like, okay, he came in, he picked up his check, he left. Now, I should ask you this, and we've talked about this, uh, as the listeners know, I do quite a bit of uh, talking to my guests before they uh, are interviewed officially, as we're doing it here. Um, you were under the impression that Greg, or maybe Greg was under the impression that he was working that night, but then you find you show up there to his work on January 19th, and they say, no, that he didn't work. Is that surprising to you? Do you think that... Um, do you think that he got confused? Uh, how do you view that all these years later that maybe he thought he was supposed to be working, but he didn't end up working? Well, 
uh, sometimes he did not check the schedule when he should check the schedule. But yes, that was unusual because all the other times he knew what his work schedule was and he knew the days that he needed to work. On this particular time, he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. I, I'm not sure whether this was the day that they put out the new schedule or all I know is he wasn't sure on that particular day whether he was to work that evening or not. And I wasn't sure either because that's why I asked him, are you supposed to work today? And then he said he was going to go and check. And, of course, uh, he picked up his paycheck from, I guess, I don't know what the payday was, but he did have a paycheck there. Okay. So he did pick up a paycheck. All right. And everybody should know that January 18th, 2000 is a Tuesday. Okay. Um, it was not a weekend. Um, and you had also told me that just in case, though, you had told me that Greg kind of always had his work clothes, I guess, that'd be in his car. Just in case. Always was always prepared. So even if he went there and he found out that he was actually working, he could just change right into his work clothes. No problem. Right. Yes, he, he could. Okay. Um, so he didn't have to work, and that's the reason that he got his check, and um, and he left. And we just aren't sure at this second. Well, we are going to get to that. So we now that so we get to January nineteenth. You had gone in, talked to them. Yes, he had come in by himself, got his check. January twentieth is when the police called you. His car is found. What do you do? You told uh, already told the listeners that you went down to Sun City, looked around, uh, posted some flyers, talked to a woman that worked at this restaurant. She hadn't seen anything. Um, what did the car look like? Um, where was it when you got it? Did they actually end up towing it anyway? What can you tell us uh, about the car itself? We picked up the car from uh, the tow yard where the police had it towed. So we went and picked up the car. We didn't see anything wrong with the car. We didn't see any damage or anything of that nature. Um, there, we, we never found the keys, though. We never found the keys to the car. And the way we were able to drive the car back was that we had an extra set of keys for the car. But we never found the keys, Greg's keys. Mm -hmm. So. Um, we have no idea what happened with that. We brought the car back. Uh, we thought maybe he had run out of gas. You know, all these things go through your mind. Yeah. Maybe the car broke down. Maybe he ran out of gas. He had some mechanical issues and he got out and maybe he was trying to get help or walking to get help or all those things went through my mind. Mm -hmm. But once we got there, we realized that there was nothing wrong with the car. Did it have gas in it? Car. Did it, have it, gas? it had enough gas. I can't remember exactly how much. It wasn't like it had run out of gas. If the car started right up with no problem, we were able to drive it to the gas station and get more gas to drive it back to Castleberry. So that was something else that was unusual. I was puzzled as yeah. to why my son would leave his car there 
and there was nothing wrong. And even if there was something wrong, he would have called me. He could have, he would have gone to a store or somewhere. He would have found a way to call me so that we could go there and get him, get the car or some way for him to get back home. I thought that was quite unusual that for him to just leave the car like that and uh, nothing wrong with it. So you uh, saw the car, you got into the car not long after it was found. Um, anything missing from the car? I mean, back in 2000, maybe uh, people would have like CD, music CDs in their car or anything like that. Anything missing? You told uh, the listeners already they had worked on his car and put, I guess, expensive speakers, louder speakers in it. Anything missing to the ca- in the car? Any signs of, frankly, violence in the car? Anything that you thought was unusual when you got to sit in it? Nothing was unusual in the car. Nothing was missing from the car. The speakers were there. The CDs was there. It was not vandalized in any way. No. And the only thing that was really missing from it was the key. Right. The key that starts it and runs it. Okay. Now, the next piece of information that kind of led you in a direction was there was a receipt from Winn-Dixie. Why don't you tell the listeners about this? This is another piece of the puzzle trying to put together um, what Greg did after he went to get his check at the movie theater. What can you tell the listeners about that? A receipt from Winn-Dixie where he cashed his check was found in his car, which um, the receipt was a little over $200 that he had cashed. The cashier at that time, whose name was Karen, remembers seeing Greg come in and cash in the check. The Winn-Dixie is probably about three to four miles from where we live, so we often went to Winn-Dixie. So she had seen him before. So. she remembers seeing him because she said she saw him and she was the one who cashed the check. Right. Well, the question came up is, was he alone? So when the detective, Casabury detective, requested to get the tape that Winn-Dixie uses in the store, it was discovered that the tape had been taped over. So the day that Greg went in to cash his check was not on the tape. It was no longer on the tape. I questioned them about that. They said it wasn't unusual for a store to, you know, that somebody forgot to take the tape out and it wasn't unusual. It happens sometimes. So it it was taped over. I'll just put it like that. So we did not know if someone was with him when he cashed the check, whether somebody followed him to his car after he cashed the check, those are questions that we still have not answered. Okay. Now, do you find it maybe a little strange that he would go, remember, this was a Tuesday. It wasn't like it was like a Friday night where, you know, he might have to wait till Monday to maybe go to a bank, and you had told me they d- did have a checking and savings account. Do you find it unusual that he went and got that check cashed and was walking around with 200 some dollars? 
you being his mother, a little surprised by that. Yes, I was a little surprised because I was wondering why did he go to Win Dixie to cash the check? I can't answer for that because yes, he did have a checking and a savings account. He would often go and cash his check and deposit money in his checking account, savings account. But on this particular night, and especially the time that he went in Win Dixie, the bank was closed. So he did go to Win Dixie and cash the check. Now, it could possibly be that because the young lady who he had dated, Janet, was working in Win Dixie. So maybe he just thought, well, I'll go to Win Dixie, cash my check, and then I'll get a chance to see Janet. I'm not sure. This is, and to but, remind the listeners, this is the girl. Who was his girlfriend? She broke up with him for another guy. And Greg, as you said, maybe still a little bit down at that point. And he was using this check cashing thing as as a way to kind of just suddenly show up at Win Dixie and run into her. Yes, that's Poss- a possibility. possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. Um, have you? I know that you've talked to Janet. Did Did Greg and Janet have a conversation that night? that Greg went to Winn-Dixie. What did she say? They have had conversations, yes. I'm not sure what the conversation was. It could be just hi or hello or something of that nature, but I'm not sure the extent of the conversation. Okay, and we have to remember she is at work. It's not like she can just stand there and talk to Greg for a half an hour or something. She has a job to do. But uh, could she, you already mentioned this woman who remembers Greg from cashing his check there. Um, but Janet was there. Did she say, if was it, was it just a high? I mean, how much did she tell you if it was just in passing? What do you remember about talking to her about that? If you can say. Well, when I talked to Janet about did she know anything or anything about Greg? She didn't know anything. She had not seen, she didn't know anything. She just says, no, I don't know anything. I don't know anybody who has known anything. So it's just like uh, nothing from there. Did she admit seeing him that night when he went into Cash's check? Did she see him? Yes. Okay, she did. Okay. So he goes in there, gets a check cashed. We don't know for what reason being that maybe that – did you ever know him to ever cash his check at Winn-Dixie before? Or was that something that surprised you? That was the first time that I've known him to cash his check at Winn-Dixie. Yes, it was a surprise. Okay. Um, Now there was something else that was discovered – that that was not the last place that Greg ended up after going to get his check cashed. It seems that he went from the theater to Winn-Dixie, and then he went to this place called Crystals that I'm unfamiliar with, but you are very familiar with it. How did you find out that he ended up at this restaurant, I guess in the Castleberry area? Right. Crystals is um, a fast food restaurant, and it's it's in... um, a lot of different areas, but it's close by the house. He went 
through the drive-thru there to get his um, food. He often did eat out, especially like if he had a paycheck, he would go to, it was either Crystal's, Burger King, or McDonald's to go pick up something, fast food. When I went to Crystal's and I was giving out flyers, talking to the workers there, and the the one of the workers who I don't, have her name right now, I don't remember, but she did say that she remembers seeing him that night at Crystal, getting his food. She remembers him. Well, here again, Greg went, went to these places frequently, so, you know, it's not like they wouldn't remember him. So they saw him, they remember him because they've mm-hmm. seen him. Okay. And that was, so that was something that you discovered on your own. That was something not that the police discovered, you discovered that, and maybe you could almost say a little bit by accident, because you were just canvassing the area and went to this place, and the woman said, "Oh yeah, I remember your son." Right. That that's that's how you remember. That's how right. um, that was discovered. So do you do you remember the time frame of all this? Do you know just once in general? We don't have to get into the absolute specifics, but what time do you think that he ended up at the theater? What time do you think that he ended up at Winn Dixie? And what time do you think that he ended up at the restaurant? Was that all within maybe like two hours of each other? Pretty quickly? Probably. Um, I do know that the uh, receipt had a time, which was uh, a little after seven, where he cashed his check at Winn Dixie. So that was around seven. And then I'm assuming that once he got the money, the cash, then he went to get something to eat which would have been probably within the 30 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, something, because they're all in close proximity. But we don't know what happened after that. All we know is the car ended up in Sun City. Right, sometime after that. And we're going to get back to the car in a moment. Um, Sometimes fast food places have video cameras did Crystals happen to have a video camera that might have been pointed at everybody going through the drive-thru? That maybe is that something you even thought of? Was and did the woman who remembered your son was he alone? Well, I don't recall whether I asked her if he was alone. Mm-hmm. I just asked if she remembers seeing my son at the restaurant. I'm thinking that possibly she would have said, well, yes, I saw him with another person, but that conversation didn't take place. So I'm assuming that he was alone. He was alone when he went to Winn-Dixie, and I'm thinking that he left Winn-Dixie, went straight to Crystal, but he could have had someone there in the car with him. It just didn't come up. just didn't come up. And as far as the question, is any sort of, uh, video camera pointed toward people in the drive-through area. I'm guessing that was a dead end, or maybe they just didn't do that, which is possible. Uh, I don't know if they even had a camera at Crystal then. Okay. I don't. I'm not sure. I didn't ask that. I just was concerned about trying to trace his steps. Sure. Where did he go? Sure, and probably I, I'm guessing when you happened upon that place and went in there, and somebody you know, recognized your son probably thinking about a, you know, a tape or something probably was the last thing on your mind. I'm sure at the point you were just happy to hear that, 
oh, he was at Winn-Dixie and then he up here, you right. know, you were probably pretty happy about that. Okay. Because whatever information I found out, I would give it to Casavera police, hoping that they would follow up on it. And that didn't always happen. Sure. Because I guess the information that I gave, maybe they couldn't use it or or whatever. Because actually, the tape, the Windexy tape, I kept insisting that they look at the tape to see if anyone was with him or if anyone followed him out. And finally, they did go to Windexy for the tape. But by that time, the tape had been taped over. Yeah. Because when Dixie wasn't going to give me the tape, uh, they would have given it to the Casabira police. But their theory was that my son had just left on his own. And uh, they they treated the case like a runaway rather than a missing person. They yeah, kept so telling me. Right. Oh, right. That he'll, he, he, he probably just left on his own or he's with a girlfriend or something and he'll come back home or, you know, that kind of thing. Not like a missing person case. They thought that he would be home at any time. Maybe, maybe you had mentioned something to them about him, you know, and his girlfriend. Oh, he's just down about his girlfriend. He'll just be back in a couple of days. And right. Geraldine, you should know that happens a lot. A lot of cases all over the United States, not just here in Florida, but all over the United States, where police are very dismissive about the concerns of families when it comes to missing persons especially at the beginning. You know, whether it's a, a man or woman, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, they, they it's like almost like they try to talk themselves out of it, taking interest in the case. Well, it could be that or maybe they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Well that's possible as well. I agree with that. That's possible. So let's get back to the car. Um you had found the receipt from Winn Dixie, which was a decent lead. Didn't get the videotape, but at least you know he was there, cashed uh, his check. In the car, though, you found uh, – I want to ask you this. We know that he went through the drive-thru at this Crystal Crystal's restaurant. This is, guys, right. I guess, a place like a hamburger place. Once again, I'm not familiar with it. Hamburger place, French fries, like you said, like Burger King. Right. Or right. McDonald's. Was any wrappers, any signs of food, anything like that, a cup found in the car to your to, in your memory? Does any of that uh, ring true? Did you find anything? Nothing. Like not even a nothing napkin. Nothing like that was found in the car. No. Not, not even a napkin. Okay. No. And this is unusual because you had told me that um, there was a cigar wrapper, though, that was found in the car. Right. Okay. Does that surprise you that your son might have been smoking cigars? Was that something that was known to you? And do you have any idea how often he did that or when was the last time he might have done that? Any ideas? I did know about the cigars, yes. I mean, he's 21. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but he wasn't like, um, I think sometimes when he got a little upset or whatever, then he would smoke the cigar. It wasn't like he was just smoking all the time. Mm -hmm. But I did know that he did smoke the cigars, yes. Okay. 
So would you say that he usually kept his car in pretty good condition? Yes, he did. He really liked his car, so yes, he did. Mm -hmm. And so would the, does that wrapper just sitting there, maybe on the passenger seat, maybe in the console in between, maybe on the floor, maybe surprise you a little bit that it might have been in there? Well, uh -huh. I mean, I, 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 know, I know the listeners know this is how I ask questions. I like to be very thorough because we're just trying to figure out, well, if he kept his car in pretty good condition, why would he leave that cigar wrapper sitting there? Well, at the time, I didn't think anything about it uh -huh. because when they said they just found the little, you know, that clear uh, cigar wrapper, wrapper mm -hmm. with his fingerprints on it, yeah. I didn't think anything about the wrapper being in there. I, I really didn't. I, I, you. I okay. really smoked the cigars. They say they found it. I didn't. I didn't really think anything about that. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm not saying it should. It's just something that's interesting because, as I told you in a prior conversation, that the cigar wrapper is in the car, but all of those wrappers that he probably collected going through the drive-through because we know he didn't go home to eat that he ate in the car maybe, but none of that ended up in the car. Right. So it just seems a little strange that he would throw those things out if that's what he did. It's some trash can somewhere, but he wouldn't take the cigar wrapper and throw that out as well. Just something to think about um, right. for the listeners to contemplate. Now, there was another receipt that was found in the car, and this is just something we talked about before we did this interview. And I feel I have to ask you this because this is on the, pro the, the public record. And because uh, I will, you know, in a couple different places... It says that Greg might have been armed at the time that he disappeared. Can you explain how that came up? Because it started with this other receipt, once again, that wasn't thrown away like other things, um, that was in the car that was found. What can you tell the listeners about that receipt? There was a receipt for a gun that was purchased at a pawn shop. And... I never saw the gun. I didn't know that my son had a gun. But when Casabera police followed up on that, they went to the pawn shop and the guy and I don't I don't know the name of the pawn shop. I think he said it was in Apopka, which is another little small town. There are a lot of little small towns all clustered together around uh, Orlando. That when he took the receipt there, the guy said he remembered Greg and that Greg brought the gun back and said that the gun didn't work. That's as much as I can say about the gun. Okay. You don't know if the guy, the, the pawn shop owner actually took the gun back or didn't want to take, I don't know what their policy is as far as selling things. He might've said, Hey, buyer beware. If it doesn't work, it's not my problem. We just don't know. I don't know because I don't know what the policy was. Um, I would think that pawn shops, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't deal with, you know, pawn shops, so I don't really know what their policy is about taking merchandise back. Okay. I, I, mean, I wouldn't expect you to. Um, but do you have any idea how this uh, sequence of events between Greg going to get this gun and then him bringing it back and then his disappearance. Do you know the time frame of all that? Was that over the course of a month or six months? How do you remember that? What do you think? Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't 
six months, no. Um, I would say probably maybe three to four weeks. Some someone in that area it was close. It was close. It wasn't far away. It wasn't like six months or three months or four months. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that far away. Okay, it, so it was close. Within a month, so it's fairly uh, close. And once again, you didn't know that he had a gun in his possession. Even if he gave it back, you didn't even know when he originally had it. Um, since 2000, did any of his friends or maybe his younger brother ever say, you know what, I knew that Greg got a gun at that time? And No. Uh, n nobody's ever said that to you? Nobody has ever said that to me. Um, nobody has ever told me that they have seen him with a gun. Uh, and as I said, I didn't know he had a gun. I never saw the gun. Um, when I did discover or was told that the receipt was there for the gun, the first thing that came in my mind was that he may have been afraid because he, he was getting off so late at night, or I guess we could say early morning, and he was by himself. He had to walk to the parking uh, lot by himself. And the way that this uh, theater is set up, the parking lot is kind of like on the side or the back of the theater. It's not like it's right there in the front where you walk out and you get in your car. So my thoughts were that he was probably afraid when he was out there alone at night by himself. Okay, perfectly reasonable, um, you know, position, theory. We we just don't know. All we know is he never expressed any fear to you uh, that, you know, somebody would have been after him or, or anything like that, that that you can remember. No, he never expressed that to me. No, he did not. All right, once again, going back to the car, do you remember at what time the car was originally seen in Sun City? It, was, it wasn't It was like a day later that it was first seen. It was only very early that next morning. What can you tell the listeners about that? Uh, I think it was like, was it like 4 a.m.? It was re really early in the morning, you're right. But um, when... The uh, Tampa police, I think that was either Tampa police or the uh, highway patrol. I'm not exactly sure who handles things like that. Mm -hmm. At first, they didn't realize that the car was a missing person's car. So they um, just kind of left it there. And as I said before, when they realized that it was a missing person's car, then uh, they had it towed right. to uh, their pounding area or wherever they keep their the cars that they tow. Right. Just to put this in the timeline now for the listeners, we have him going to the theater, getting his check. We have a receipt that he was at Winn-Dixie at what time? Seven, did you say? He was at? Seven. Seven. Or a little after seven. A little yes. after seven. He's in the in the the Castleberry area, which is on the east side of Orlando, east northeast technically, um, in that area, 
cashing his check. And then at some point, probably not too long after that, he goes and gets this food. Let's say that's 7.30. So like eight and a half hours later, his car is seen in Sun City, which is like two hours away. So it was fairly quick. You know, if he just decided to pick up and drive to Sun City, he must have made that decision, you know, right very quickly for the car to get into that area. Of course, you know, we just don't know what has happened. All I'm trying to set up is that the car got from the Castleberry area to Sun City fairly quickly. You know, it, it wasn't over at, like, it wasn't discovered a week later. The car was there as cited by police at approximately 4.30 on January 19th. Um, you had, I know that you had thought about, you know, what is the possibility if it was Greg that drove the car over here? Did he know anybody in this area of the Tampa area, Hillsborough County, Pinellas County, uh, Sun City, Ruskin, those areas? Did he know anybody over this way? Because I live in the Tampa area. No, not in that area. Uh, Tampa, he had one friend who went to college with him. But I was in contact with him. He was in contact with me, and he didn't see Greg. It was he wasn't he was in actually in Tampa. He lived actually in the city of Tampa, not in that area where the car was found. And he said he did not hear anything from Greg. He did not see Greg. He actually didn't know that Greg was missing until I called him and, and asked him about had he seen Greg or anything. To your knowledge, had Greg ever been to the Sun City area before? Any of that area? Would no. that been area be new to him? It was new to him. And plus, it was surprising to me because when I discovered that Sun City was a retirement community, he had no reason to be there because they're mostly retired people. When we went to visit Sun City, we saw that it was mostly retired people in the area. And... There was no reason for him to go there. Yes. In fact, you have an interesting story about when you were walking around. I'm, I'm guessing this happened at the same time uh, that you talked to this woman that worked at the restaurant who said she saw the car but didn't see him. You ran into a guy there who said that he was going to try to help you find Greg. How did that happen? And did anything come of that? Well, I can say what he told me. Nothing concrete came from it, but he had his um, idea of what possibly had happened. He said, well, we took the car back to Sun City so he could um, look at the car, and he had another friend with him, and they stood there, and he said that um, someone else was in the car, that Greg wasn't in the car by himself. That's what his senses or feelings were, were telling him. So this guy was uh, proposing or calling himself some sort of psychic or medium or something like that? Right. He said he had helped the police before find um, missing people. So he said he had been helpful to the police. He wanted to help us. He didn't charge us anything. He just wanted to help us. So we went there with the car and, of course, he walked around the car. He looked at the car. He said, according to how he felt, that someone 
had been on the passenger side of the car. And how did you run so, into this guy? Where, what, do you remember? And once again, it's been over 18 years. I understand that. Was yeah, he one, of the, re- was he one of the restaurants that you went into? or did No. You just, okay. This is so unusual. He actually contacted me because he had seen one of the flyers oh, okay. that we had left. And then he contacted me and said that he wanted to help me because he had helped the police before with missing person cases. And he saw that my son was missing and he wanted to help me. Okay. He says he didn't charge anything, which he really didn't. He said, I don't want, I don't charge for anything. I just, I'm just doing this because I want to help. So we went there and we took the car. He said, you need to bring the car so we can kind of um, get a feeling of what was going on. So we did take the car. And and, but and, and those were his feelings never, that somebody was on the, on the passenger side. On the passenger side. But he never got to really help us all the way through because then he got sick and he had to have a surgery. So, um, he wasn't able to continue with us to help us. And he was an older guy already. So, um, I would say that he was probably in his, um, sixties when he called us that he was going to help us. So when he told us that he had gotten ill and that he was sorry, he couldn't, then, you know, I really felt bad because I was anticipating that he really, really was going to help us. And uh, maybe we would find out some information that we didn't know, which we did find one thing that we didn't know. But, and then we really still don't know that, but that's what he was saying. That right. How long did this course, how long did this correspondence go with this guy? And what, uh, when was the last time you talked to him? Has this guy since passed away? Did you retain contact with him? Anything? Anything? I didn't retain contact with him after that. Um, we only took the car there once. And um, it wasn't that we stayed in contact with him for a long period of time. Because after he contacted me and he said, well, you know, if you bring the car, then we can tell, you know, what happened or if there was somebody else there. So we took the car. He told, he gave us the information. And um, just a few, a short time later, when I contacted him again, he said that he had to have surgery and he wasn't going to be able to, you know, continue with, with helping us. So. And you never heard from him again? Never heard from him again? No. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, you never tried to call him after that, or were you expecting him to maybe call you after he was done with his surgery, or you just weren't interested in talking to him? Or I, I you know, my well, listeners are going to say, "Well, Ed probably thinks that's fairly suspicious," and I do, but you know, it only matters what you think about this. And I'm just wondering how you followed through with that. You just kind of let it go after that. I I did. I just kind of let it go. I didn't. Um, I was kind of. Um, wondering whether this was all true or whatever he was saying. Um, But at the time, it's like any little bit, 
Sure. Any little any little thing um, we thought was helpful. But, sure. of course, when you go to the police, the information, unless you got some kind of proof or something, they're not going to use it. So, you know, yeah. it really didn't help at all. Okay. Speaking of the police, did they do any forensics on the car before, of course, you got it back? Uh, did they do any forensics on it all, try to take any fingerprints, uh, anything like that before you got the car back? The report from Casabera police concerning fingerprints was that they only found uh, fingerprints or they were only able to recover fingerprints that were on this little cigar wrapper. That's how I know about the cigar wrapper in the car was because the cigar wrapper, they said, were Greg's fingerprints. So they said there were no other fingerprints that they could recover from the car. I thought that was kind of strange, but, you know, they say it's not easy to recover fingerprints. So they could get the, and we all know a cigar is not that big, and of course the plastic on it would of course be ripped or shredded or something like that from the cigar being taken out. The police are telling you they could get a fingerprint of Greg's off that, but they're telling you that they couldn't get any fingerprints off the steering wheel, the gear shift, the radio, the door handle, nothing like that. That's what they said. So either they're very, maybe possibly incompetent, which is possible, or maybe the car was actually wiped down. Maybe somebody else wiped it down and nothing could be found. Okay. I posed that question to them. Yeah. I was told that it's not that easy to wipe off fingerprints. That it's not like when you're watching a movie and they're showing you how they're uh, collect getting the fingerprints from items or whatever. It says it's not that easy to wipe off fingerprints. So uh -huh. they couldn't recover fingerprints. They didn't feel like the car had been wiped down. But they couldn't get any fingerprints. Uh, were you was Greg the only person who ever drove that car? Did you ever drive his car? Uh, his brother was younger. I don't know if he was driving yeah. age or not. Did anybody well, else ever drive his car? I had driven his car before. His dad had driven his car. Greg has driven his car. And I don't know if he ever allowed any of his friends to drive his car or not. But, yes, there should have been other fingerprints in the car. There should have been all tons of fingerprints in the car. Yes. Okay. So we just don't know about that either. The police don't know what they're doing or uh, something else. It's hard to tell right at the second. It just seems funny to me they could get a fingerprint off of a cigar wrapper and not off an entire car. Okay. Um, the police, like you said, you know, wanted to dismiss this, that Greg ran away. And, and at, at any point since 2000, have they ever changed your, their opinion on that? Uh, maybe giving you another theory because we have a little more to go. We're going to talk about you know some other possibilities. But the police themselves, to this day, do they think that Greg still ran away? They, you know, it's kind of hard to tell because when I go there, I go there frequently, maybe once every six months or so, and ask them about information about my son. And what they tell me is that, oh, we have him in the um, system as a missing person. And if anything pops up, 
then uh, we'll know that something is, is going on. But right now, it's like a dead end. There is nothing to the case. They have nothing to go on. So I'm not sure how they're really thinking other than the fact that they have nothing to go on. Okay. Well, in a way, I kind of understand, you know, I, I guess I understand that. Uh, but we are going to talk about now some possibilities that certainly would take us in the opposite direction of believing that Greg just kind of took off. Uh, we're going to talk about some people actually that he knew and their behaviors. Already talk about one of them, but we're going to talk about him again. But I want to start off with a guy. His name is Angel Rosario, R O S A R I O. Uh, who is he, and how did Greg know him? Angel is uh, the brother of a friend, Marlene, who was Greg's friend. And Greg often visited Marlene at her home with her, you know, her parents and all. And her brother, of course, lived with them. He was a year or two older than they were. And Greg would sometimes go there and he said that he had played Nintendo with uh, Angel. When the police were given Angel's name as one of the friends to question, to just question to see if he knew anything about what happened with Greg that night because I suspected that maybe he had gone to Marlene's house because she lived very close to the Winn-Dixie where he cashed his check. Sure. Well, when they first contacted or tried to contact Angel, the mother would not, well, they were on the phone. They didn't really go to the home. The mother uh, covered for her son. She said he was not there. And we were wondering why he wouldn't be there. This was a school time. But anyway, he was not there. He um, had gone to Atlanta. But he left. He just left that evening and he went to Atlanta. And she said that Greg wasn't their friend. And they didn't even allow Greg to come in their house. He had to stand outside and talk, and I was wondering why would she say that when it was not true. I know that that was not true. So what was it that she was trying to cover for her son? Have you ever? Did you know her? Did you? I mean, being that this uh, angel was a friend of Greg's. Had you at any occasion met this woman before Greg disappeared? Did you two ever have a conversation somewhere? Hey, our son. No, I had never met the mother. I had not met angel. I only met the sister Marlene Rosario. I only met her. Okay. She had come to the house. Sometimes they come and visit and talk or whatever. And I'm at home. So I did meet her. I never met her brother, but my son told me far, far before any of this ever happened. Actually, when he was still in high school, this disappearance happened after he was in college. But when he was in high school, he told me that when he would go to Marlene's house, that he would play sometimes play Nintendo with her brother and they would play Nintendo together. I think that was the the game. But anyway, um, they would play together. But then when the mother was questioned by the detective, she 
pretended like she didn't even know Greg or she didn't even like Greg or she didn't even want him at her house, that kind of thing. So I very felt kind of suspicious about that. Very, yes. sus- I would say that's very suspicious. Have you, since 2000, ever had a chance to uh, contact Angel? Uh, do you know what he has done since 2000? Um, what kind of guy he is? Anything like that? I have not made any contact with Angel. I have talked to uh, Marlene. And what'd she say? What, have... what What did she say? Have you ever asked her point blank? Why did your mother say that Angel didn't know, you know, my, Greg and it was never over her house? Why did your mother do that? Marlene doesn't know about that conversation. But I did ask her, did Greg... Did she see Greg any the night that he disappeared? Did she know anything or anybody that knew anything about his disappearance? And she said, no. That's as far as I got with her. I don't know Angel. I personally have never met Angel. Same came up because, like I said, previous to all of this happening, my son would talk to me about Marlene. He talked to me when he went to her house. So, I mean, it was just conversation for us. I never thought that this would happen and that um, there would have to be lies about it. It just kind of uh, seems suspicious to me. And I did share that with the Casaberry police. But, uh, again, their hands are tired, tied. They can't go to somebody's house and say, okay, we suspect that your son did this, this. At least that's what I was told. So they had to accept whatever she said. Do you um, think that Marlene is a good person? Do you think that she's an honest person? And have you ever thought about, you know, asking her, you know, why did your mother say all those things back in the year 2000? I mean, you know that's not true. At least get Marlene's, I mean, it's been 18 years. If she was... You know, Greg's age at the twenty-one. You know, at twenty-one, she'd be in her late thirties now, grown woman. You know, maybe married, right, has kids. Right. Who knows? You know, have you ever thought about just asking why'd your mother say that stuff back in two thousand? You know, they're lies. I did not ask her that. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe that you know that might be something to think about. But we've talked about Angel and surely what he, uh, his behavior. And his mother's behavior, not so much Marlene's, but Angel's and his mother's behaviors, very strange. Now, I think it is. Yeah. Um, now we have Michael Johnson, who we've already talked about once, but maybe you need to start from the beginning with how Greg and Michael knew each other, the kind of uh, friendship that they had, and then please, then it once again reiterate what happened after Greg disappeared. First of all, how did Mike and Greg know each other? They were high school classmates. They went to high school together, and they became friends, very close friends, so close that they called each other cousins. Uh, Michael frequently came to my house. Sometimes he had dinner. Sometimes he had problems at home with his mother. And he would come to my house and stay overnight or whatever. Sometimes he said that he got locked out or all these things were going on. I really didn't know his mother that well. I had talked to her 
But if there was something that was going on there, I wasn't going to discuss it with her because I didn't know how true it was. But he and Greg were, were, were so close friends that Michael was always with him. Wherever he went, Michael was there. He used to go, leave home in the morning, go pick Michael up from his house, and bring him to school. And sometimes he was even late for school doing that. Michael was always in in the car when Greg came home in the evening. He would always have Michael there. They would come home. Maybe they'd play a little game or something, play basketball. We had a basketball hoop, uh, eat dinner or whatever, and then he would take Michael home. They were always together. And even when I went to uh, a conference at school at Lyman and the teacher said that Greg's cousin, Michael, and I said, well, they're not really cousins. She said, well, they call themselves cousins. I said, well, that just shows how close the relationship is that they're calling each other cousins. It means that they are so close that they are like family. So it was very unusual to me that Michael would not contact me or say anything. Once Greg disappeared, I never heard from Michael again. I never heard from him again. And when you say that never again, you mean from January 18th, 2000 to today, which is February 5th, 2018, over 18 years, you've not said one word, or he's not said one word to you in that time. That is exactly true. Wow. I have seen Michael's brother, which I did talk to him, which was recently, probably about four years ago. And I asked him, did he know anything about Greg's disappearance? Of course. And he said no. And I told him that I needed to talk to Michael. I don't have contact information for Michael. And Michael Johnson is such a common name that it's kind of hard unless I know where yes. he's living and all that, that you really just kind of look him up. I he did go on Facebook for Michael Johnson, but I, I didn't see, I didn't, there were so many that popped up that it was really difficult. But I did tell his brother, his brother is Chris, and I said, Chris, I would like to talk to Michael. You may tell him that I'm at the same address and I have the same telephone number, so please contact me. Now, I'm not sure whether he got that message or not, but I've never heard from him at all. And do you, even if you don't know how to contact him, have you ever heard anything about him through the grapevine since 2000 about, you know, what he's done with his life? Has he been in any trouble? I guess the same way with Angel. Any of these guys, either of these guys have any trouble with the law? And maybe I should ask you this. Did Angel and Michael... N know each other were they good friends too yes. or they were yes they did and one of the things that um the police did call michael and ask him about were greg he, well the way they questioned it was like um did were angel and greg you know enemies or anything like that and michael said no they were cool well cool means yeah they got along okay yes so now there's another suspicion that Angel's mom is saying all this stuff. Well, they never got to talk to Angel. They never talked to Angel. 
that Angel's mom is saying all this stuff. And then when he calls Michael on the phone and say, hey, you know, you know about Greg? Well, I'm trying to find out uh, what kind of relationship did Angel and Greg have? Oh, yeah, they were cool. Uh, did they play Nintendo and games game sometime? Oh, yeah, you know, everybody was cool. We would go there together or whatever, whatever. So now here in my mind again, you know, why is she saying that? What is she trying to cover for her son? But then Casabera police was like, we don't have any evidence about anything. We can't just go to her house and, and do whatever. So here we have information that we can't do anything with. So that's just the way it was. Do you know if the Castleberry police even talked to Michael Johnson? They talked to Michael. They told me that they did. They asked Michael about Angel oh. and their relationship and Greg's relationship with Angel to see if it was true. Because I told them, I said, well, Michael always goes everywhere with Greg. And I'm pretty sure he would know if there was a problem with Angel and Greg. So when they talked to Michael, Michael said there was no problem with Angel and Greg, that they were cool. They got along. Okay. So you have two guys that were in Greg's life as friends who, since he disappeared, neither of them has ever expressed any sympathy to you, never even sent you a card in the mail. No, never, not even a phone call, not even just come by the house, not even just say, well, Ms. Brooks, we're sorry. I'm sorry to hear that Greg is missing. Nothing at all. Okay. And once again, we need to remind the listeners that Angel was the brother of Marlene, who was yes. a girl that was also friends with Greg. Did you say, tell me at one time Greg and Marlene might have been a couple at one time, maybe before he and Janet? Is that is that true? or? Well... It could have been, but he never he never told me that he and Marlene were a couple. He always said that he and Marlene were friends because she liked to talk to him about her uh, family problems or issues or things that were going on with her. But he never said that they were like a couple couple. Okay. So I'm not certain about that. But I do know that he and Janet were a couple. Right. And since 2000, since the beginning of 2000, when Greg disappeared, have you had a chance to talk to Janet? Now, once again, she would have been a year younger than uh, Greg, maybe 19, 20 years old. She would also be in her late 30s. And uh, what have your discussions with uh, her been like, if you can say? Okay. Um, Janet actually came by the house. It's been a while. I'd say maybe... um seven or eight years ago she came by the house with her uh fiance she came mm-hmm. by to 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 ask me about Greg have we found out any information and to say that um she was sorry about how things happened and she just wanted to know you know have we found out anything or any information about Greg so we sat there and talked for a while, and I did ask her a few questions, and I said, well, is this the young man who, you know, she knew that Greg was really sad about what happened with her, with the breakup. Yeah, sure. And now she's older, and she can see things differently, and she said she was sorry about that. 
uh, the young man who was with her, who is her fiance, was not the uh, the person that uh, she and Greg broke up for. with for, you know, he wasn't the one, but now he was the person that she was marrying, you know, at that time. But yes, she did. She came by the house and sometimes she would call and ask, you know, how was everything? Or did we hear anything about Greg? Or she was sorry. And she was sorry about how things happened and, you know, how he felt and how things turned out. Yes, she did express, you know, that she was sorry and concerned. Okay. And once again, she was the, uh, young, at the time, a girl, young woman, who was at the Winn-Dixie that night. Just to remind yes. the listeners, she, she was the one that stopped by your house with her fiance, asked about Greg, but she's also the girl that was working that night at Winn-Dixie. She's the ex-girlfriend. She was there when Greg went in and cashed his check. Correct. Okay. All right, so we went uh, through a possibility. It's always uh, strange. In fact, uh, the, the case I just uh, covered this past week, it's always strange when somebody who, who's involved with somebody, you know, suddenly doesn't come around anymore after the person disappears. It's always suspicious. Always. Um, so since 2000, you've talked about the police. Um, no leads whatsoever. They feel kind of handcuffed, even if it, you know, there's a possibility of Angel and Mike or, or Michael are both together because there's not any proof. There was no forensics in, in the car. We don't know if their whereabouts for that night of January 18th, 2000. Uh, we don't know where they were. I'm not, maybe they've been asked, but we don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, is it a possibility that uh, Angel and or Michael knew somebody in that area? Did, some, did they do something to Michael? Did something, did they have a fight out of nowhere and they wanted to ditch the car? We just don't know. We just don't know. It's going to be up to the listeners to decide for themselves. But you did say that you know, we had this gun purchase that you didn't know about, and then we know, like you said, that he was suffering some dis- some depression. Uh, he was sad about this breakup, as many young people get when they get breakup, and even people my age, 47 years old, that happens. Is there any chance in your mind that – is there a possibility that maybe Greg uh, might have had some sort of psychological break or something like that? What do you? I mean, did you ever see anything in his behavior in his first twenty-one years that would support that? The only thing I saw in his behavior was the depression, mm-hmm. and he did go to therapy for that, and he did take medication. Okay. And if he was going to this counseling, have since once he disappeared, did you, I mean, I don't know what the laws would be anyway. Did you ever have a chance to talk to this person who was counseling him? Maybe what the content I of, I, I would never ask you to say those things in, in I, public. I would, I'm not asking that. I'm just asking you if you had an opportunity to do that. And did that person ever express any opinion on that? I did. I did talk to the counselor. And yes, he did express his opinion. He seemed to feel that um, there were other things also that um, were causing Greg the depression, the breakup, but then there were other things also that Greg mentioned to him. 
in talking to this counselor, and once again, I don't know, it's very fortunate that this counselor uh, was able to talk to you. I don't know, what, we're just le- going to leave his name out of it because I don't know if that was legal to do or not, but it, I'm, I'm glad that he did. Don't get me wrong. Did he ever express to you the idea that Greg uh, might try to hurt himself? Did the counselor ever say anything that, you know, I think your son might be suffering some from some bipolar disorder, depression, paranoid schizophrenia? Did this counselor ever say anything like that in your conversation with him, if you can say? The counselor never said anything to me of that nature, that he would be harmful to himself or anyone else. No, and he did not think that Greg was suffering from any sort of other mental instabilities, once again, connected to maybe this girlfriend issue. We know that uh, you know sometimes young people and breakups happen, they think it's the end of the world, and we know as adults it's not. Uh, maybe some issues going on with school, uh, but no mental instability that that the counselor thought would take Greg to the point where he might harm himself or maybe have a mental break and just suddenly take off. No, he never indicated that to me. Okay. Greg was suffering from a depression. Okay. Okay, so he never expressed it to you, and to your knowledge, he never expressed it to anybody else. In fact, you would hope that he didn't, being that that shouldn't be information that's given out anyway. Right. Okay. Okay. All right, so we have that, and the listeners, you know, can judge that for what it's worth. But uh, I, I keep going back uh, in this disappearance to Angel and Michael and them claiming, you know, not talking much or not talking at all, not expressing any condolences to you, and Greg disappearing. So you know, listeners are going to add that up for themselves. You told we talked early about. Uh, Greg's younger brother, uh, Jermaine, how has he handled this over the last 18 years? It has been very difficult for Jermaine. I can see that um, Jermaine is still angry about the situation. He's angry because his brother is not here. He's angry because he doesn't know what has happened to him. He's angry with the police because he feels that they didn't do as much as they could. To, find, to try and uh, find Greg or find out what was going on that could have happened to him. So he still has a lot of anger. Even though he is uh, 34 at this point, it still bothers him because he's he often says to me, I only have one brother and now he's gone. I don't have anybody else. So I know that he still loves his brother. He wants to know what has happened to him. And he's angry about the situation. Would you say that he is equally as suspicious about Angel and Michael as you are? Yes, we've discussed it. He he feels that it's very unusual. Yes. Mm-hmm. He does. He feels as I feel. And being that you, you told us earlier that Greg used to take Jermaine on his dates. Um, did Jermaine ever happen to go along with Greg when he would go over, for example, to Angels and play video games? Do you believe that's something that ever happened? Uh, where, you know, Jermaine would able, be able to say, 
you know, that woman, that mother of uh, Angel is lying. I was, I've been over there, you know, with Angel. Did, did anything like that ever happen? No, no. Jermaine never went with, with, um, with him to Angel's. Okay. But Greg was, Greg was the kind of person he would take the children. Well, I call them children, but all the boys, like Greg was in like middle school and uh, Jermaine was in middle school. Greg was in high school. So part of his responsibility was to pick up Jermaine from uh, middle school. When he got out of school, go pick up his brother, bring him home. Uh, Sometimes I would get off work. I would pick them up, but. There are about four Jermaine's friends who live in the neighborhood and would come, you know, with him. But they didn't want me to pick them up. And the reason was because they said, well, when Greg pick us up, he'll take us to get something to eat. So he would pick up the, the, the young children. They weren't young children. I'm sorry. Middle school. They were in middle school. Mm-hmm. He would pick them up from school. And then he would take them to checkers or wherever, wherever, and they would get something to eat. And that's what they like. I would pick them up and bring them straight home. So they'll say, oh, why did you come today to pick us up? We wanted Greg to come. And I was like, okay, so why do you want Greg to come? Because he always takes us to get something to eat. So he was that kind of person. He, you know, he just liked the kids. Yeah. Yeah, he sounds like a good guy. Greg sounds like a good guy. No doubt about it. No doubt. Greg Um, was a good guy. Yeah. You know, my son was raised as a Christian. They went to church all the time. He sang in the choir. He worked in the nursery taking care of the little kids. He was a good guy. Yeah. And that's what makes his disappearance that more puzzling, for sure. Yes, it, yes, yeah. it does. For sure. For everyone who knows him. For everyone who knows him, it is just so unusual that something like this would happen. Yeah. Anybody who knows Greg. Comes out of nowhere. Yes. Just out of nowhere. Just wake up one day and your son's not here anymore. Yeah. What can the listeners, uh, where can the listeners go to find out more uh, about uh, Greg, do you have a Facebook page, a we- website? Uh, of course, in the lead up, the, the listeners will now know. But in the lead up to uh, this interview, this episode, uh, I was of course sending them to various places and posting pictures in all the places where I am on social media. But where can they go to find more about Greg? Find out more about him. Well, he's with the um, missing persons, missing missing adults. Okay, Namus. He's on Namus. He's on Namus. Okay. Yes. And the the national website for um missing persons, missing adults. He's on that website also. Okay. Okay. I do not have a Facebook page for him. Okay. Well, that's that's your choice. That's totally fine. Talk to a lot of people who uh don't have one, so that's fine, but um, I will be pointing people in the directions. I know that his profile is on my friend Megan Good's site, charlieproject.org as well, which is a very popular missing person site. She has a couple pictures uh, of there of him and uh, the contact information for the police. So uh, the listeners uh, can go there as well. 
Um, any final thoughts or comments uh, you have, Geraldine, before we conclude this interview? I would just like for anybody who has any information about my son to please come forward to share what you have, even if you think it's not important, then it could very well be important. Um, I've been wondering all these years what has happened. And I know that someone knows something. There's, there's got to be somebody out there that knows something. And if you do, please come forward and help. Tell what you know so that we can find my son or find out what has happened to him. That's what I would like to know. I would like to have closure. So I would appreciate if anyone could do that. I, of course, totally agree with that. I'm hoping that the listeners uh, do know something. Maybe something will ring a bell. Maybe one of them knows Angel Rosario. Maybe one of them knows the actual Michael Johnson that we've talked about uh, in this interview. Uh, of course, here in Florida, I have a lot of, of listeners being that uh, I live here and I want to continue to work with you in any way I can, Geraldine, um, uh, to get some answers for you. In fact, I have some suggestions that I'm not going to say on the air. We'll talk about them afterwards, uh, some steps you might be able to take in the upcoming months um, to try to get a little closer to the answers. But I deeply appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you very much for interviewing me, and thank you very much for taking the interest in the case for my missing son, Greg. Geraldine, you're welcome. And that was my February 5th, 2018 interview with Geraldine Brooks, mother of Roy Gregory Brooks Jr. I thank her for appearing. I've produced a new map analysis video for Greg's disappearance, Please find it on Unfound's YouTube channel. Probably every interview I've ever done, when I go back and listen to it, I discover something that should have been further examined, an additional question or two that should have been asked, a suspect whose background needed to be better understood. In listening to Geraldine, one thing we did not touch upon was that $200 he received from cashing his check at Winn-Dixie, something he never did. What happened to that money? I guess it wasn't in the car or Geraldine would have mentioned it. So where is it? Does it make sense that Greg ran off with it? Or does it make more sense that someone caused Greg's disappearance due to the $200 then ditched his car where police found it? Another topic that wasn't covered thoroughly, yes, Geraldine established that Greg had never been to the Sun City slash Ruskin area before, but did anybody check his computer to see if he ever looked up that area? And yes, this was before Google. So maybe a Yahoo search or even a Dogpile search, remember that site? Did Greg do this? Did anybody check? We don't know. We don't know if that was ever researched. The issue overall is 100 miles and two hours is a long time to be on a manic-type trip. If that is what happened to Greg, 
He's out. He sees his ex. He's already fighting depression. Something clicks in his brain that causes Greg to make a bad decision. But for two hours? Whereas our experience at Unfound is we've certainly had a set of facts similar to Greg's in other disappearances. However, although the person may still be missing, the car is found nearby, maybe a few miles away. Or if the distance is more than a few miles, it is parked in a place familiar to the missing person, like what happened with Jamie Valdez's car. Greg's disappearance is certainly the opposite of that. On top of this, if Greg left his car there, he put it at one of the busiest intersections in that area. Whereas to tap into our knowledge again in these situations, cars are usually found out on dirt roads or at least out of the way. Yep, hard to understand. But let's use our minds, our now more experienced minds, to figure out what can be done now 23 years later. If you'd like to read and hear my further in-depth analysis of Greg Brooks's and all of Unfound's other disappearances, please sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I'll leave the public theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.